Welcome, fans of the Justice League universe. My name is Sam. My name is Sydney. And we are two members of the JLU podcast team who enjoy analyzing the DC films released by Warner Brothers Studios. Other contributors to this analysis are Alessandro Maniscalco and Rebecca Johnson. You can find us all on Twitter, and you can follow the show at JLU Podcast. In this episode, we are going to discuss scene 26 of Wonder Woman, directed by Patty Jenkins. So this is the scene uh, where Diana and Steve um, and Charlie and Samir are at King's Cross Station and the docks, and they're going on their way to meet Chief. So uh, first of all, let's start with just some overall thoughts, some big picture view on this scene. With regard to themes, there was one, uh, Sydney, that I thought about um, that we've mentioned before, uh, where there's just the big idea that war is nothing to hope for. Like, war is not something that you should be anxious for. You shouldn't be looking forward to the glory of war or kicking butt or anything like that. That it's actually always a tragedy, that there's always this human cost to it. And this scene shows you some of that human cost. Right, exactly. Yeah, Patty Jenkins, um, she talked about the shortcomings and injustices of a society are more readily observable to an outsider than to an insider. We've mentioned that quote before in some of our episodes. But here, we not just we don't just see the human cost of the war, we see it through the eyes of Diana, who is who is outside of this civilization. And for her, she's kind of like, what is all this? Like, what is this carnage and this pain and suffering? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, in this scene, there, there's kind of two parts to it, right? There's the, there's the part where they're going to the train station, and then the part after their boat lands. Um, and, you know, on one side, she's seeing just sort of ordinary civilians just, you know, saying goodbye to each other. It's mostly a very positive scene. Mm-hmm. And then once she lands in Belgium, then she sees the, the flip side of it, the the horrors, the injured soldiers. So, yeah, she she's looking at it all from the view of an outsider, and I think it's such... It's such a sort of sudden shift for her. I imagine it's very jarring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the juxtaposition. And it's very visceral, Indeed, like yeah. the, the ice cream, where with the audience, we can relate to her tasting that ice cream <laughs> and just the, the beauty of that, you know, and then immediately to see the wounded and, you know, the dead and dying and all of that pain. So the two together, it makes it really potent. Right. And I mean, you're right. I mean, she has a different view as an outsider because I think... You know, the so the people of Britain here, they've just been living with this for so long that they can still find, you know, moments of warmth or camaraderie, um, you know, back in their home country, even though, you know, they're about to be shipped off and, and the war has been a reality for them for probably several years now. Mm-hmm. We also wanted to share um, a quote from Chris Pine, uh, the actor. So he said about this movie, no matter how ugly... No matter how ugly this world gets that we live in, no matter how much death we encounter, how many wars happen, there is still hope in the best parts of ourselves to be good and to protect one another and to do right by one another. Mm. So even Chris Pine is kind of tapping into that juxtaposition of the ugliness, but then also the good parts, you know, and that there's still something to be hopeful about. Right, exactly. And that's probably what all the soldiers are fighting for. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're they're able to to, you know, endure this kind of suffering, but you know, still, they still have these, these happier moments to cling to. Yeah. Now we'll go through some of those details again in a second. But uh, we also like to look at the character development overall. So like, what do we kind of learn about the characters? Or what character beats are really important from this particular scene? Um, I think, I mean, one bit about the ice cream scene, I I love Steve's reaction to mm-hmm. <laughs> Diana being so happy about the ice cream. I think he finds her outsider's view very charming. It kind of maybe gets him to look at things with new eyes. I, I kind of feel like, you know, her being extremely happy 
makes him incredibly happy, not just because, you know, later he develops romantic feelings for her, but just because it's something that's so sweet and that sticks out so much, um, given, you know, how, how cynical he is and, and, and the chaos that he's seen. Yeah, I also love his reactions, and they happen several times throughout the movie, but one of them is definitely here with the ice cream, mm-hmm. where, yeah, her joy, her pure innocence and joy spreads to him, which is great to see for somebody who's been through so much stuff. Uh, and I think it's part of why I can buy that he falls in love with her. It's it's not just because of her strength and stuff. It's also that he sees these tender moments and he's a witness to them. And I think that's key how they build in his reactions to it. Right. And I think she represents this in like this better world to him, too. Hmm. She's she's very larger than life. So, yeah, I can totally see how them being close and them being comrades leads to something more. Yeah. And now for character development, I think another key moment in this scene is the little liar killer smuggler kind of moment where Diana says, oh, like, you know, who do you have me running around with here? These kind of people with flaws in their character. Uh, But then Steve says, like, you know, but I have those things, too. And yet you think I'm all right. Or, you know, we're kind of working together. Mm -hmm. So that's just a a little bit of development of, of Diana realizing the good with the bad and realizing that things are more complex than just good guys and bad guys. Right. And it also like helps her to realize like, Oh yeah, like I can see some of the complexity in you as a person, you know, to Steve. And so I think that's a, Mm -hmm. even though this is kind of a transitional scene of just going from one setting to the next part of the movie, they put in that nice little character moment as well. Right. I think, you know, she, she was a bit biased because I, I think, you know, she sees him differently than others because she knows him. And, you know, she knows that he's a good person. She's seen him fight beside her and, you know, fight beside her sister Amazons. So I I think it hasn't really hit her what his job was and, you know, how his whole world is espionage. So it I, I kind of feel like in that moment she's like, oh, yeah, okay. I, I guess you do have some similarities to these people. And I hadn't really thought of it that way before. Mm-hmm. So it's, 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 it's more challenging her worldview. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing I wanted to mention here for the overall kind of character stuff was just Diana herself. Uh, This scene shows that one of her superpowers is really empathy or compassion. Like she Mm -hmm. just has natural compassion for people. And we see that in the slow motion, especially at the end, towards the end of the scene. Um, So that's a big one. I think that is a consistent part of her character and we get to see it here. And then I think the other part is uh, the setting. Like, so King's Cross station is like a famous location and we see the soldiers of the era, you know, we get a sense of this time and place of World War One and this part of the world. So that is also an important contribution of the scene, even though it is a transitional scene. It helps us really ground it into this World War One era. Right. And there was a, a detail I liked about this. Um, so the, the station shows a, kind of a wide variety of people beyond just white British soldiers. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you see some female nurses in the background mm-hmm. and even Sikh soldiers. So, you know, mm-hmm. they're wearing British uniforms, but also, you know, their culturally appropriate headdress. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a really small detail. You know, it's just kind of something that's part of the scenery. But it, it just kind of makes it to me even more impressive that Patty and her crew thought to include that. Just because I think... You know, a lot of people in America, especially, we have this perception of this time period in Europe as being very homogenized, racially speaking. Mm-hmm. But in reality, it it would have been more diverse, and this film went out of its way to show that. So, you know, you can see this also in the Odd Fellows, and it's you know they were 
there was some racial diversity, maybe not incredibly large, but it existed. It was there and the movie shows it. And mm -hmm. Diana, I think, sees it. So, you know, it, another part, another thing that just shows that the world is getting even bigger for her. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, and I also noticed, I mean, one thing that jumped out to me the first time I was watching this even was the age diversity. Like mm -hmm. there's some, definitely some young men were like, wow, they're so young and they're coming back from war. You know, they're not just going to war. They've already been there. Right. Um, but then there's also like an older man who's like being wheeled back. You know, he probably has like leg, leg injuries and stuff. Oh yeah. So it's really different ages, different cultural backgrounds, women and men. Mm -hmm. You can really see that this war is involving and affecting everybody. So, yeah, I think that right. was... Yeah. That was not I mean, the, 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 the men become soldiers and, and they go off to fight, but this was such an enormous conflict that everybody got involved. Right. So, all right, let's go through, um, you know, a little bit more of it in detail from start to finish. So uh, I mentioned King's Cross Station. So that's where the scene starts, um, a famous location, especially for people, you know, in Great Britain. But one thing that's kind of cool is they actually did close down two tracks and they brought in a real train from that era. They kind of, you oh. know, polished it up, refurbished it. So it's mm -hmm. really nice that they actually went to location and they brought in a real train to have roll into the scene. So that, that gives it kind of a nice, you know, practical, realistic feel. Right. It does. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's always nice when they do that. Um, and I'm sure they had to, like they did with the earlier London stuff, they probably had to, like, green screen and adjust some, like, anachronistic things. But it's nice that they did have up front and center, they had some real objects and at, at a real location. Right. And all the all the, the costume, the period era costume, I mean, like, all those people I mentioned before, but, you know, even the soldiers and the, the, the period-appropriate clothes and uniforms... Uh, mm -hmm. It all just looks so very natural. Yeah. Now, I always like to mention the music or keep track of kind of what the music is doing. So this is kind of a warm, uplifting sort of music. And I think it's very fitting because this scene, they've just caught a break. Like Sir Patrick has agreed to help them, you know, right when they needed some help. So the team is forming and they have what they need to go forward and try with their mission. And there's no immediate danger right now. Mm -hmm. You know, they've made it past the German spies in London and they're not yet at the front, so they're in this period, they're this point where there's nothing immediately breathing down their neck. Right. And so, to me, this is an appropriate time to have some kind of uplifting music, to have people smiling, to have a little bit of a laugh with the ice cream. Right. Um, so for me, th this is like, yes, this is where you put in some lighthearted stuff because it doesn't take away from any of the threats or the tension of anything else. Well, it, it's good at showing the contrast too, because this entire scene where it begins and ends sort of shows that transition. Mm -hmm. um, between London and the front. So it, yeah. it starts off lighthearted and, and gradually becomes more grim as we get closer to where the fighting is. Yeah. And you also noticed some of the camaraderie that's here, especially at the beginning of the scene, mm -hmm. uh, some of the, you know, the ways that the people are interacting. Right. You see some soldiers clinking their flasks together and toasting and, uh, I mean, even though they're men, this is this type of camaraderie. I'm sure is something that Diana recognizes, like the bond, bond between soldiers, like that that, right. that that transcends gender. Yeah, exactly. So she sees that, and it's you know she's in a different culture, but I'm sure that's very familiar, and it's very sort of encouraging for her. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, I also noticed there's a there's a woman saying goodbye to a soldier to the train window, probably mm-hmm. a boyfriend or fiance who's going off, and it's mm-hmm. just it's just a minor detail, and you know it, it's probably nothing to read too much into because this is definitely something that happened in war. But when I rewatch this, it makes me think of the eventual separation of Diana and Steve. Yeah, you know they're also going to be lovers who are separated by war. Yeah, yeah. Now, then we get to the the first big moment. We've already talked about a little bit, but it's the ice cream moment where, you know, uh, they notice the ice cream cart, you know, ice cream made today. And Steve says, are you hungry? But, but really, he's kind of thinking like, hey, this she might want to try this. Right. So uh, and then it's just, you know, it's a great little moment. It's a memorable kind of interaction to have. And this is a good spot to fit it in. Um, and Diana has a funny line, you know, when she says, oh, it's wonderful. You should be very proud. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is a funny way. And then that's the Steve's reaction part that we we're already talking about. I did want to point out something that probably a lot of comic book readers were already aware of, but yep. um, this kind of seems to be an homage to the graphic novel Justice League Origin, which was the new 52 reboot of Justice League by Jeff Johns and Jim Lee. And in there, there's also like a moment where Diana's trying ice cream. And um, I think it's even in the animated movie, which was retitled Justice League War. Okay, it is in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've only seen that once. I, I want to rewatch it actually before the death of Superman comes out in a little while. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, the, the little Diana with ice cream just uh, works pretty well and it works well here in, in the movie too. Right. It's not even it's not even an homage. It is it is literally taken straight from the comics. Um, like I saw it coming the second he's like, hey, do you want to try some ice cream? I'm like, oh, they're doing the scene. Yeah. I mean, they they put it in a different setting and, and different right. people are there, you know, but yeah. But her her part in it is this. Yeah, is this beat for beat. Yeah, it was that moment. It, it's kind of like that bit in Batman v Superman with at the during the warehouse scene where the guy says, you know, I'll, I'll kill her. I'll do it. And yeah. I was like, oh, that's when the Dark Knight Returns. He's going to say, I believe you. And he did. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> Just fun, fun little uh, references. Yeah. And then, uh, so Diana trying it out. And then we mentioned Steve's reaction. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wanted to just uh, underline what you said earlier that watching him just smile first of all chris pine i think just acted really well like his face just lights up and he's just kind of observing her and then walking along with her right Um, but for me it's kind of like I'll, i'll point out two other ones that make a nice kind of trilogy of these reaction shots one is on the boat when she's just so optimistic that she'll be able to make a difference and he's kind of like he's kind of like wow that's kind of nice to like see somebody so optimistic and then uh later on during the snowfall in Veld and like him watching her interact with the snowflakes is like another moment where he can just sort of like take in her the way that she interacts with the world. Right. I I think that kind of peace and, and, you know, positivity of mind that she has is something that's been missing from his life for a very long time. I, you know, so being around her is just refreshing. Yeah. And then we talked about the contrast from the beginning of the scene to the end of the scene. And just the soldiers themselves are also setting up the contrast. Because here they're full of energy. They're walking around. They're saying goodbyes. But, you know, they're all going. And then that's going to contrast with these soldiers in the same kind of uniforms. But now they're wrapped up and they're, you know, they're limping along and they're injured and all that. So we definitely get the the clear contrast about that. Mm Mm-hmm. So the scene moves forward into Dover Docks, and that was filmed at the port of Tilbury in Essex. Uh, I've never been to any of these places, but uh, they had info about it in the art and making of the film book. And it says that here that the, the boat and the people walking to and from the boat were actually digitally added. 
So to me, I didn't even notice that when I watched it in theaters. I thought it looked pretty good, but the boat and even the people are CGI or, you know, put in that way. Um, and then there's a train car that comes up at the docks, and they said that that was also a digital train car that comes up, but pretty good. Like, for me, it's not even noticeable. I think, um, yeah, that's a pretty, I think, common special effect in movies. It's a type of special effect you don't really think of mm-hmm. as being a special effect because it just looks incredibly natural. But I think it's it's um, more practical to film scenes like this where there's a lot of moving parts, not just extras, but, yeah, like a, like a moving train and, and such. So instead of trying to coordinate all of that, filming them separately and then adding them together is the better way to go. Yeah. Um, there's some soldiers singing a song. Uh, I can't quite tell what it is, or you know, I I don't recognize it directly. But if any listeners know what song this is on the docks, you can let us know. But it does just give a sense of ambiance to the era. Like it mm-hmm. seems like oh, they would be singing things like that. And I know that there were songs that you know became uh, kind of just cultural touch points for the soldiers or the people of the era. So right, even in wartime. Uh, and Steve mentions where they're kind of heading. He says uh, Chief is expecting us before dark. So we don't meet Chief yet, but he does mention that Chief is a smuggler, uh, but a very reputable one. Um, but he's a smuggler. And <laughs> Diana kind of cues in on that word smuggler. Right. So she's like, okay, um, liar, <laughs> thief, and now smuggler. So, yeah, it, it's kind of like these are definitely concepts that she thinks of as being, quote unquote, bad or dishonest. Mm-hmm. So she's a little skeptical about bringing people with these traits into their team. Yeah, and it goes right back to the previous scene where they're at the bar and they're meeting Charlie and Samir, and she's kind of like, you know, are these good men? Like, so <laughs> she was already skeptical about the first two, and she's saying like, this doesn't look like the place where you would find good men, quote unquote. And now the next one is a smuggler. So, but I think it's really well played where it's like this is the kind of lesson that Diana needs to learn. She comes in just kind of categorizing people as kind of good and bad. She comes from a place where everybody is pretty good and like, you know, everybody gets along pretty well and seems to be respectful of one another and stuff. So for her now to get here into man's world and get really into the thick of it to start to meet these different people and get to know them, um, she has some lessons that she will learn about people being more than just their label or, you know, they're not just defined by you know, thief or smuggler. They, they're they more than that. There's more that underlies it. Right. And that, that these people are the way they are really because of their environment. Like, you know, Steve is the way he is because this is the world he's grown up in. He really couldn't have turned out any other way. You know, where she comes from, they live in a society that has achieved peace. And so for that to be sustained, it, it means that yeah, everybody's learned to work together. Everybody has become what we think of as good but people who live out in man's world, you know, they, they suffer and they, they go through some unique difficulties in their lives that shape them in ways that kind of makes them a bit morally gray. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's one of those things where she, she hasn't quite reconciled that they can have some of these, you know, somewhat negative traits and also still be fundamentally good people or well-meaning people. Mm-hmm. And I like it that they the filmmakers built it in in two different directions. So in one way, she meets a liar, thief, and a smuggler, but she gets to know them and she realizes a little bit about their background and what they're going through. And she realizes, no, like they're actually have good hearts and they're doing, they're trying to do the right thing. Right. So, so one angle is she meets a liar, thief, and a smuggler and realizes they're actually not so bad. 
Right. The other angle is that she already knows Steve and she thinks Steve is pretty decent. Like she's kind of getting a, to trust him or at least, you know, think that he's somewhat of a good guy. And then she finds out that he is kind of a liar, thief and a smuggler. So from one angle, he's a good guy who has those traits. And from the other angle, she meets those people who also tend to actually be kind of good. Right. So I like that. It's like now that's a that gives you enough to work with that, sh- that it's really believable that she would learn that lesson by the end, which is important when she's like facing down Aries and she needs to realize, yes, men are bad. They have these bad tendencies, but they also have good in them. And it's all about the balance or you know, realizing both that both of those are true, good and bad together. Right. And and once she knows them in the same way that she knows Steve, she can see past kind of just the surface level. Mm hmm. Yeah. And, you know, see the more, see the more like, you know, kind of well-rounded person beneath just the label of liar, thief, or smuggler. Yeah. And I think we, our team, we had a theme that we phrased around that, which says, like, once you know somebody's humanity, you can't just, like, write them off as a bad label. Right. Like, like you can use those labels as, as if you keep them at a distance and you don't really get to know them at all. Mm-hmm. But once you get to know people, you those labels just fall away because you realize the complexity. So right. that's really you see the, kind of You see the good in them. Even if maybe for some people the good doesn't outweigh the bad, you still recognize that it exists in them. Mhm. So then that conversation uh and it's kind of nice that Steve and Diane are talking but like right behind them we can still see Charlie and Sam. So like they're mm-hmm. kind of being talked about but they're right there. So I thought that was nice how they blocked the scene like there's this movement across the dock and we're moving forward towards the front, but we can still see Charlie and Sammy as they're being talked about. So I thought that was good. But then we get to the bridge uh, and that's where the wounded are coming back and it goes to slow motion, which Patty Jenkins said she wanted to use slow motion when there was some sort of important point of view from Diana. And this this definitely fits the bill for that. It's true in real life. If something really bad is happening, you know, you, you kind of see it in slow motion. Yeah. So it was a good tech, it was, you know, it was good to kind of literally translate that to screen. Yeah. And you think too, like about the earlier we saw young Diana hearing stories about war, mm-hmm. but now she is for the first time she's coming face to face with war. So it's a very new, potent kind of experience for her. So yeah, so the reality of war is really sinking in. She's idolized her fellow Amazons and the battles they fought in for so long, but now she's seeing the actual costs. Um, it, it actually kind of sort of reminds me of um, Wallace Keefe's line from Batman v Superman hmm. uh, when he's being interviewed hmm. and he's in his wheelchair and he, he gestures down to his amputated legs and says, this is war, what war looks like. So it's, it, I think everything always seemed very glorious to her before, you know, like the glory and honor in battle, but there's none of that here. Right. And I think that definitely goes into that theme we were mentioning about war is like not something you would hope for. Mm-hmm, exactly. Like, yeah. Now, we mentioned how one of the things the scene does is, like, the setting of World War One. This is, like, one of the scenes where you really get a clear sense of location and time and that sort of thing. Um, Anna Lynch Robinson, um, she's part of the production design team, I believe. Um, but in the art and making of the film book, she said, quote, We did a lot of research into World War One. To honor what they did for us is a huge responsibility. With Dover Docks... There was this awful, awful scene where Diana sees all these people going to war and then coming back injured or dead. She doesn't understand where these people are going. And then, of course, she finds out, end quote. We've, we've talked about Diana, like, having character growth, and she's starting to learn some lessons that she will learn throughout the course of the movie. But um, this is also just a very direct lesson of 
oh, there are soldiers, and then this is what it looks like when they're coming back. Like, that's just a very concrete but very, you know, powerful emotional lesson to learn. Um, So she's learning about mankind, and she is becoming less naive, right? Everything that she sees like this, she is now more worldly and less naive. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, and it's a very, I think it's a very cinematic way of learning that lesson, right? Like it's it's done in a visual fashion, which I think is just good filmmaking. Right. And we're seeing it exactly the way she's seeing it because of the slow mm-hmm. Now, the last little bit of the scene is they, they meet their guy who has a small boat. And so I'm assuming he takes them across the English Channel because uh, if they're going from Britain, they're, I think, probably go straight across to France. And then from France, it's just a small short trip inland to Belgium. And we know that really that's where they're headed is to Belgium. That's where they'll be momentarily. And when they get towards that part of the scene, there's some soldiers with gas masks on. And Diana comments about the gas. She says the gas will kill everything. What kind of weapons kill innocents? Like, so now she's surprised, like, there's just kind of rampant, like, death and destruction. It's not targeted just at the soldiers, which would be a more honorable way to fight. No, it's just like this gas that's just released and it might hit innocents, you know, women, children, who knows? Exactly. Um, and what is it? She I mean, she says, what kind of weapons kills innocents? And he responds with, in this war, every kind. Mm. So there's definitely no honor in this war. This actually uh, sort of tie in with uh, some, some real history here. So, you know, General Ludendorff was, he was an actual historical figure. Mm-hmm. And he had this idea of total war that fits into the movie perfectly. Um, it... Basically, it involved there being little differentiation between combatants and civilians. Hmm. Um, and it's the uh, it's sort of described as a war that is unrestricted in terms of the weapons used, the territory or combatants involved, or the objectives pursued, um, especially one in which the laws of war are disregarded. So hmm. this isn't, you know, this is an honorable combat on the battlefield anymore. It's use whatever you can to demoralize the the opposing side and defeat them utterly. Very mm. scorched earth tactics. Mm-hmm. And this is something, I mean, war has always been terrible, but, uh, you know, with, with the rise of technology, this is something that has become um, more apparent really just in the past century. Mm. And we saw earlier in London, Diana learning about and then just getting totally frustrated with the leadership and how they kind of look at things. And now she's starting to get down on the ground and see the the real human cost of war. Right. And that has to be just heartbreaking for her as well. Because like, mm-hmm. she had, you know, a vision of war from the Amazons, but it was a very honorable kind of approach. The generals were right there with their soldiers. The soldiers were attacking or responding. You know, they wouldn't be going and just, you know, scorched earth killing innocents and stuff. No, like you get the sense that the Amazons are very honorable in the way that they approach their battles. So the leadership seems pretty horrible to Diana, and now even the tactics on the battlefield are also seem just horrifying. Right. It's new rules, as uh, Alfred would say. <laughs> BVS, the, the movie that just keeps on giving connections after connections. <laughs> it's all it's all connected. It's the same it's the same world even if they're different stories. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that will do us for Wonder Woman scene 26. Uh, Next up, we're just going to move right into scene 27, which shifts back over to Ludendorff. And we see some of that uh, scorched earth tactic and uh, the fact that he 
sort of throws aside all regard for what might be honorable way of conducting yourself because he, in the next scene, will be poisoning even his own German leaders. So that's coming up next. But that will do it for us here in this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as usual, we give a shout out to the Suicide Squad cast and Man of Steel Answers.